Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You don't think that it's time that somebody cared enough to have a dream? Why are you getting so upset? This is not about you. Yes, it is. You are a human affront to all women, and I am a woman. At some point, you gotta decide for yourself who you are. Can't let nobody make that decision for you. How do you go about getting an exorcism? I beg your pardon? Hi, this is Mark Kermode. Thanks for downloading this Kermode on Film podcast. In this issue, I'm joined once again by boy wonder Jack Howard as he and I go head-to-head on the thorny issue of Pirates of the Caribbean. Jack, this podcast exists purely because of something that you said. I've requested this. You did. So tell the. uh, Yeah, because I'm going to. Actually, I'm going to back away. I'm going to put full (laughs) response. So this isn't Kermode on film. This is Howard on film. Okay. Let's imagine that. Welcome to my takeover. Welcome to your takeover. Jack, what are we doing and why? (laughs) We're going to be discussing Pirates of the Caribbean. And I want to do this because I. Right. Okay. You said you're going to leave it to me. Don't interrupt. Okay. Sorry. we're going to be discussing parts of the Caribbean. You got really bossy as you get older. You know what? Yeah. Granddad. Yeah. Calm down. <laughs> I will actually, I'm going to let... Okay. We're going to be talking about parts of the Caribbean. And we're going to be doing that because we all, we all know Mark's thoughts on parts of the Caribbean. And I mostly agree that it is trash. But I think the first one specifically is a pretty brilliant out, you know, uh, big high concept fantasy uh, swashbuckling brilliant movie and I think that you're wrong about, about the first movie I think that the first movie is actually one of the better you know in that genre that's ever been made you don't know what this is do you Aztec gold the heathen gods placed upon the gold a terrible curse Ten years we search. Every last piece we have found. Save for this. Hello, Bobby. They've taken Elizabeth. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. We must save her. Where do we start? Jack Sparrow. He talked about the Black Pearl. Make a deal with him. He can lead us to it. You forget your place. You are a blacksmith. If you spring me from this cell, I shall take you to the Black Pearl and your bonny lass. You're a pirate. Forgot one very important thing, mate. I'm Captain Jack Sparrow. Can we begin by establishing that we're talking about the first film and that the rest of them are irredeemable, right? So I haven't even seen what's known in the UK as Salazar's Revenge. Which over somewhere else is called... Dead, Dead Men Tell No Tales. Dead Men Tell No Tales, yeah, yeah. Which I think is just the name of another film, and they, yeah. Yeah, they do that thing. I mean, I've, I have seen all of them. Okay, so I'm I have so seen sorry. Every, every, no, yes, exactly. I have seen every single one of them. And um, so I'm quite happy to sort of narrow this down to number one. Yep. I think it was the second one that was a point at which I really started losing my temper with the series. By the time we got to wh- whichever the last incarnation was, the fact that the fact that they couldn't even decide on a on a title it did just look yeah. like a, you know a bag of bones bits of leftovers and all the rest of it so the and first apparently one, like johnny depp is like learning his lines through an earpiece i think the word learning wow. is, uh, is you know <laughs> you know that was the old marlon brando trick that marlon, yeah in yeah. superman right well, in loads of things. I mean, apparently the first time Marlon Brando did it was in the formula with George C. Scott, when George C. Scott, was you know, a great actor, would be doing his lines and Marlon Brando would be getting them in his ear. And then David Thewlis tells this story about on the set of um, The Island of Dr. Moreau, which, of course, started being directed by Richard Stanley. And then Richard Stanley was removed and they got in John Frankenheimer and, and Val Kilmer was an idiot. And the whole thing was a disaster. But Marlon Brando was having his lines sent to him, you know, through a shortwave radio. 
and David and he, there he is as the, you know as doc, the, on the island of Doctor Moreau and he was David Thewlis said that he'd be doing a speech about genetic engineering and it would suddenly be interrupted by police shortwave radio and he'd suddenly announce that there was a robbery at Woolworths. <laughs> <laughs> Is that true? That's what David Thewlis <laughs> said. <laughs> well, <yeah. laughs> okay, so um, I'm going to let you start. Okay, so I, you, basically yeah. what I've done is I've prepared uh, five topics, okay. like, like five things to talk about for the film, okay. and we're going to discuss them in an order. Right. Okay, so we're going to start off with what I assumed when we brought it up on the last yeah. podcast would be something that we would universally just agree on. They're like, yeah, mm-hmm. okay, that's good, but like not everything else. Okay. But Johnny Depp's performance as Jack Sparrow okay. is the first topic, mm-hmm. and I think it's absolutely fantastic. And I thought you would just go, "Oh yeah, of course." In the first one, it's brilliant, mm-hmm. but you don't think. No, so. I think it's terrible. Why? Well, do you want to go first on why it's fantastic, okay. or do you want me to go on why it's terrible? So, um, what I know about the performance is that uh, when Johnny Depp was doing research for it, he found out that there was a comparison to from pirates to rock stars, which is why he was like, "Okay." I'll be I'll act like a rock star. And I love as well that in the script, um, they originally wanted Jack Sparrow apparently to be like just some silly, nothing jester type character and he wasn't even going to be in it that much. And then the producers really wanted him to be like a Han Solo, but in a pirate world. And then Johnny Depp apparently turned up to a table read and just did that. And the producers were really worried, but Gore Verbinski was like, "No, I trust it, and I think it, I think it works, mm. and I think it massively paid off." Because I saw this when, you know, when this came out in two thousand three, I was eleven, twelve, yeah. something like that. So I was like bang in the middle of like target audience for this new movie, and I think growing up seeing that performance just define like he, I can't see Johnny Depp in that performance this of a similar way to you know it's one I bring up all the time but I can't see Heath Ledger behind the Joker I can't see Johnny Depp behind that first film everything after that it feels like he's been doing like a version of that but never really getting the the dynamic right because I think that what's so great about that performance is that he's combining this weird jester rock star like drunk role but you're not really sure who he sides with you're not sure if he is an idiot or if he is really smart. You're not sure if he is going to be betraying them or if he's going to be loyal. He's sort of all of it and the unpredictability of it I find super interesting. And the performance of it is really funny and quotable. I just think it's a fantastic on-screen performance. I'm Captain Jack Sparrow. He's heavy. Now, as long as you're just hanging there, pay attention. The only rules that really matter are these. What a man can do, and what a man can't do. For instance, you can accept that your father was a pirate and a good man, or you can't. The pirate is in your blood, boy, so you'll have to square with that someday. Now, me, for example, I can let you drown, but I can't bring the ship into Tortuga all by me once. Savvy? So. Can you sail under the command of a pirate? Or can you not? So, um, I was a huge fan of Johnny Depp. I absolutely, I loved him as an actor. I thought he was a really physical actor, with the exception of Benny and June, which I just, which annoyed me. I thought, I remember seeing, you know, things like Gilbert Grape and um, particularly Ed Wood. I mean, I just thought, and you know, Edward Scissorhands, I thought he was a really brilliant physical actor. And I, I interviewed him a couple of times and I compared him to a silent movie star, um, which I think, you know, was where he was kind of coming from. As far as Pirates is concerned, um, I know nothing about the background of the script. What I do know is that uh, the part wasn't written like that and that Johnny Depp came in and did that. And, uh, you know, the, apparently the producers were worried, but Verbinski went, yeah, you know, this is great. Let's go with it. I think that that performance is the least controlled, most ill-disciplined, most self-indulgent thing Johnny Depp has ever done. For me, it's the turning point in his career between him being somebody who was a really sort of physically precise actor to somebody who, who had turned into a Johnny Depp caricature. And when I see that role, 
all I can see is Johnny Depp. And I think two things happen. I think the first thing is, firstly, the, the pirate rock star thing. Okay, there's nothing new in Pirates Are rock stars. And I know he says, well, you know, I hung out with Keith Richards and then Keith Richards turns up in a thing, which is in, funny. Because, in the third one, yeah. Because yeah, what he sounds like he's doing is an impression of David Bowie doing an impression of Anthony Newley. Oh. <laughs> so firstly, okay, nail your rock stars down. <laughs> Secondly, it's one of those performances that I can just see Gore Verbinski on set going, Johnny Depp's doing this. I can't believe I'm directing Johnny Depp. I'm just going to leave him alone. And the producer. But I don't think terrible. it does feel like that. I, th- it, I think it feels like he's. His whole thing is just like, I'm doing this, this it, all the time. It's like, be... I can read. <laughs> I can read the set. I can see. Oh, wow. Is that your Jack Sparrow impression? <laughs> that is what it's like. The first, well, honestly, I had said to my. I went to see the first Pirates with Nigel Foy. I don't want to get ahead of myself. But I went to see the first Pirates with Nigel Floyd and we went this is great we're going to see a pirate movie because since Cutthroat Island nobody done pirate movies and I actually quite like bits of Cutthroat Island I mean bits not the whole thing but um and I went in and uh, embarrass yourself and the, the hey no I mean I, the point is I'll stand up for things that I quite liked it's rubbish but I quite liked it and then Roger who was the editor of The Observer went this is great you're going to see a pirate movie and Nigel and I were going yeah pirate movie and then 30 minutes in, it was like, is he going to do that all the way through? Oh, is he literally going to do that? No, that's what I thought. And then I thought that all the way through. Every movie, oh, I'm going to do Jack Sparrow. I wish podcast I listeners. I can't quite decide. I wish you could see the visual <laughs> that I'm seeing. <laughs> the sort of rolling. It's like Johnny Depp's in the room. room. Yeah, well, as, as I said, my description of it was it said it's like a drunk karaoke singer showing off in a small room. And but that I, was, that's what I felt. I don't like. think that that's true because I think you'd be able to see through the filmmaking that he was out of control. If he is the, out if, of control. If the editing and, and the scenes didn't make sense or if he was, like, doing different things in different takes, so, like, the over-the-shoulders no. were different. No, 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 he's only, he's only doing one thing, Jack. What's and that? The same thing all the way through. <laughs> it's like, this, you know, it's, it's like, oh, OK, fine. It doesn't matter what the tenor of the scene is. And this gurning, this, the, the, it's the worst performance since Benny and June in which he was basically doing a silent movie star. And, I mean, I feel like I'm watching... You know, you know, a bungle out of rainbow, or it's, it's, you know, it's so. Look at me! I'm do- the worst thing David Bowie ever did was after studying with Lindsay Kemp, he did some mime on stage, you know, and it was like David, you'd really know, just, just, just yeah, fine, stick you to can, the songs. That's right, you know. I always remember the thing that Alexi Sale said is, you know, I wouldn't pay money to see somebody climb up a ladder, walk into a wall, or get blown over by wind. I'm not going to pay money to see somebody pretend to do it, and I kind of just feel it's like he's hit. This this thing that he's and and it's so it's so out of the film. No, not good. Stop. Not good. What are you doing? You burned all the food, the shade, the rum. Yes, the rum is gone. Why is the rum gone? One, because it is a vile drink that turns even the most respectable men into complete scoundrels. Two, that signal is over a thousand feet high. The entire Royal Navy is out looking for me. Do you really think that there is even the slightest chance that they won't see it? But why is the rum gone? Just wait, Captain Sparrow. You give it one hour, maybe two. Keep a weather eye open and you will see white sails on that horizon. You've got Kira Knightley being... At that point, and I was very rude about her and I was wrong, but, you know, at that point she's very wooden. And you've got Orlando Bland that is most bland. And then in the middle of no, it, you've got... Even that I don't agree with. I okay, think... all right. So, well, shall we move on to your next point? No, well, because... no, no, that's no, no. not the next point yet. But okay. I, I think that, like, the supporting cast... Yeah. I think everybody does a really, really great job. When we'll... Actually, yeah, let's get on to the sort of the next part of okay. it, actually, which was actually... Um, like part of the story. Yes, the story. The story the of story. the story. Okay, remind me okay. what the story is. So I is. actually think that in today's standards, Pirates of the Caribbean: The Curse of the Black Pearl is actually surprisingly small scale and personal because it's not about like you know sea monsters uh, and like uh, krakens and <laughs> the world ending or whatever. It's actually about a bunch of personal relationships that happen to intertwine. Um, so. I really love the introduction of both Elizabeth Swan and of um, Will Turner, um, especially Will Turner, because I think the first thing you see him do is he's alone waiting for um, the governor to come down and meet him, and he just plays with a candlestick and accidentally pulls it off. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, if that's script or not, if that's Gore Verbinski or whatever it was, 
is just like, okay, he's immediately, this, this ridiculously handsome man is immediately on my level. He's relatable. He's a bit awkward. And then through every intera- interaction that you see of Elizabeth and, and Will, you get a, you get tension between them, obviously, but you get every exchange is exposition on what their role is in society, how they feel about each other, the the fact that they can't be together. All that stuff comes through their performance and no one ever... I think it's really elegant. Like, nothing ever gets said in a sort of, like, on-the-nose way, but you get what's going on. The fact that he doesn't want to call her Elizabeth, the fact that he calls her Miss Swan, the fact that her father interrupts and says, like, the boy has a sense of propriety. Like, and it just feels like I'm getting this world and I understand the dynamic between these two. And even when he offers him the sword, like... You get the idea that Will made that sword, but he's not going to take credit for it because the black, you know, he gives my compliments to the blacksmith. And you just get all this information in a really natural way. And I really, I've come to really appreciate that. Do, do you believe for any minute that they're actually, that there is, they're in love, that there is a... Yeah, to, to the point where I can remember actually, no, no, I don't like the second one. I like The World's End actually a bit more than Dead Man's The World's Chest. End, the one that starts with the comical yeah, scene of child hanging. It's, it's, it's all over the place, <laughs> that film. It, it goes from children being hung to then pirates having swords thrown on, from the floorboards in a plan that doesn't make sense. It's ju- it just becomes this wild mess. But I think that actually the, the more that The World's End goes on, the more it actually becomes a little bit more like the first one. But the thing I, I remember feeling in the third one was proper like heartbreak and proper heartfelt like there's a shot that is sticks it's burned in my mind from the world's end of when will's doing up his boots and he's looking for the other one and then her leg just comes on and puts, she sticks on a rock and she's wearing the other boot yeah and then he takes it off her leg and just kisses her leg and i just remember just feeling like oh my god this this is like proper on-screen intimacy and I proper believe okay. that you two are together. I mean, I honestly believe that those performances was, were so wooden that, as I said in that review, that bit in, in, in the later film, when they finally are embracing each other, I said, it's like watching a nest of tables. It is literally like watching interlocking bits of Jenga. I do not understand at what level I'm meant to believe that this is anything other than Orlando Bloom and Keira Knightley playing dress-up. And, and, and incidentally, you know, I think that Keira Knightley is actually a brilliant uh, actor. I think, that she, I think that it was very hard for her to be... I mean, I think I was unfair to her in, in my reviews of those films because I think that she was wrestling with with very shoddy writing. I don't th- I don't th- I don't think that Orlando Bloom is ever going to be the world's greatest thespian. No, he really isn't. And is he? Um, because you know it, he he seems to have hit the limits of you know the three emotions that he can do, and that's fine. And you look at what's kind of happened to their careers since then. But I I I just. I really struggled to believe in that. I also felt that at every point in the narrative, everything else is pushed to the side of the screen by the by Jack Sparrow, who's like the drunk relative that you can't get rid of because he's taken residence on the sofa in the front room and he's not going anywhere. So let's let's get to that. Actually. Okay. So the introduction of Jack Sparrow, mm-hmm. I think, is one of the greatest introductions to a character I've ever okay. seen on film. Are you just playing devil's advocate? I'm you really actually... not. Okay, okay fine. So I'm just going to describe again, like... Yes, go ahead. Jack Sparrow is introduced without a word being said, okay. and you completely get what's going on. And I think that's a testament to Gore Verbinski and to Johnny Depp. Because I think that in that introduction, his, you're introduced to him as this... He's on the top of his uh, of the mast, and he's, he looks, you know, in charge and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And then he notices that his ship is sinking, and he tries his best to, to you know, swashbuckle it, it all out of the, the thing in a sort of quite a small comedy routine. And then he notices a bunch of hanging corpses, and they're all they're pirates. Mm-hmm. And he takes off his hat in a show of respect and salutes. And then it cuts to him arriving at the bay, atop the mast again, with pride, as he arrives into the port, like it was the plan that and the steps onto the steps onto the onto the onto the um onto the onto the land and just walks forward as if like nothing ever happened like yeah i meant to sink that ship and it just feels like oh i get who you are you are you are surprising and you are like improvising improvising all the time and you are proud and you have you want to show a certain um appearance that maybe isn't true and then you got that whole that first exchange where he 
tricks somebody into taking three shillings uh, so that he doesn't get to give him his name and then steals the rest. And it's just all that action is like there's multiple things going on at once. And I just think that you, in the first three minutes that he's on screen, you're like, oh, I get everything about who this person is. Hold up there, you! It's a shilling to tie up your boat at the dock. And I shall need to know your name. What do you say to three shillings? And we forget the name. Welcome to Port Royal, Mr Smith. I'll actually... I'll give you this. I think that what you're describing is, uh, you know, is a well-constructed, constructed, you know, set up and all the rest of it. So my question, therefore, is mm-hmm. this. Why is it that if Golvabinsky can do that in a sequence, mm-hmm. that he can't do it over the length of a film? Because actually, throughout Golvabinsky's career, the two things have defined his movies. One is an absolutely unforgivable inability to rein things in to make things you know short mm-hmm. he's you know given half a chance he just goes longer and longer and longer and secondly and perhaps more importantly if you understand that you can do that sequence and that you can t- telegraph all that stuff that you've just described yep. I mean, it's you know it's fairly straightforward but it's you know it's, it's, it's effective. visual it's effective storytelling why then just allow that character to pinball around for the rest of the movie like something over which you i mean it looks like the least directed performance I've ever seen Johnny Depp do. And when I think Johnny Depp's best performances are with, I mean, when he was working with Tim Burton, if you look at Ed Wood, it's the opposite of everything he's doing with the pirates. It's tiny gestures. It's tiny movements. It's very small, very, I mean, the scene in Ed Wood, when he meets Orson Welles and Orson Welles tells him the story about, you know, I never had any control over anything after Citizen Kane. And there's this whole thing that Edward is sitting there in drag in this bar talking to Orson Welles. And Orson Welles is explaining to the worst filmmaker in the world that this is what's happened to him. And Johnny, Johnny Depp's version of Edward is brilliant because of what he doesn't do. And Verbinski's version of Johnny Depp is do whatever you want and do more and turn it up to 11. And I still think... I still think that all Johnny Depp's best performances are the ones when he dials it down and he and he reins it in. But I'll give you that, you know, I think you've argued, I, I'll give you that opening sequence, but I think in a way that just says, then what the hell is happening for the rest of that movie and then more expansively for the sequels, which get longer mm-hmm. and more uncontrolled and more rambling and more and more the sequels fall into line with Johnny Depp's character. I, they, they become yes, extensions they of Jack Sparrow's... Rah, he's, you know. he's a great supporting role in, in the first film and the mistake that they made in the, in the sequels is that they didn't understand because he was never written that way. It no. was all a massive mistake that he <laughs> that he did. Well, I don't want to use the word mistake. No, no, for sure. Yeah, they're, they're <laughs> I'm good just giving yeah, you ammo fine. there. Yeah, no, no, it's, um, no I, I think that's a, it's a valid point. The, the, in the first movie... He, no one knew he was going to do that. He was written to be a completely different way. Yeah. Um, and then in the sequels, they were like, oh, shit, that worked. Yeah, I mean, to, to, to give you ammunition, it's like um, Peter Sellers in the first Pink Panther mm-hmm. films in which Cluzo is a, is a secondary character. Yeah. And then the difference is, I think Cluzo is funny. Yeah. <laughs> but but right. so, yeah, it's, it's the same thing about, oh, that works, mm-hmm. so let's bring that central. Let's so make by that the time the main... you, yeah, they meant to make that the thing. Because when you see yep. the first Pink Panther, what's surprising is how little of Cluzo is in it. Yes. He is absolutely secondary. Okay, so, you, so that's a point to you. Yeah, okay, but like, uh, let, let me just. For Johnny Depp's character, for Jack Sparrow, I think that the thing about the first film that's different from the second... You kind of get it a bit in the second and the third, but you know the more it goes on, the, the less clear it becomes. I'll give you that. But in the first film, I feel like no matter what he's doing, when you say he's ping-ponging around, yeah. I feel like I totally understand why he's doing it constantly. Can I be honest? I think you under- I think that what's happened is that you've fallen in love with the character and you, and you just will accept it. <laughs> I, do, I mean, I think... No, you know, I think you know, his motivations it, are totally clear the entire time. Okay, I think it's like that thing about, you know, you'll forgive your friends for eating with their hands, but you'll criticise your enemies for crossing their knife and fork. I think that a part of you, you're part of your 11-year-old self oh, has fallen... No, but hey, look, <laughs> that's not a bad thing because the thing... I mean, look, I saw Krakatoa East of Java when I was six, right? <laughs> and I thought it was the most brilliant, moving thing I've ever seen. And there's a sequence in it, a musical sequence in it, in which this woman sings this song to this man, right? And I thought it was the most 
thrillingly exciting and romantic thing I'd ever seen. And I went back years later to watch Krakatoa East of Java. And it's all over the place and it's rubbish, but I don't care because my six-year-old self fell in love with it. I actually think that the only flaw... Well, not the only flaw, but I think one of the major flaws in this in this film is that there's a brilliant monologue from somebody we haven't mentioned yet, Jeffrey Rush, who is fantastic yeah. in this. There's a brilliant monologue where he talks about how he can't feel anything because of this curse that he's under, and he wants to just feel human again. I'm sorry, I'm just That's sneezing. Right. I'm not. I'm not retching. That's the sound of me sneezing. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll give you. And I'll give you Jeffrey Rush. Yes. Okay, I'll give you Jeffrey Rush. You're winning more points than I expected. Right. But Jeffrey Rush is doing that brilliant monologue, yeah. and one of the major things in it is that he says he feels nothing, and yeah. yet there's moments in the entire movie while the pirates are still cursed yeah. that they feel pain. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, come on, guys, a little bit of consistency <laughs> with that, please. Like, it just doesn't make sense, and it bothers me. Okay. Because yeah. Anyway. Okay. But the story of the movie. Yeah is that Elizabeth Turner has taken this bit of gold that happened to belong to Will Turner. It then calls out to the pirates and they come back to get it. And the reason they want to get it is because they're under a curse and they need all the pieces of gold returned to where they got it from. Come on! <laughs> Not I while mean, I'm explaining! I mean, it's literally like... It's, it, it's, I've already lost interest. No, because the, the, like, if you explain anything like that, no, it boring. No, that's not true. It is. That's not true. But the reason why Martin I'm telling you Sheen that... Martin Sheen goes into the jungle in search of the heart of darkness. I'm, uh, that's, that's not boring. Yeah, but like... Uh, yeah, I know, but like, I don't Man know what that's about. Man goes into space in search of infinity. Yeah, okay. In this one, you've got... People who seek out adventure. Humphrey Bogart go is in love with a woman he can't have because of the war. And so it's like, so there's a thing, and then this other person's yeah, got the yeah, thing, yeah, 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 and yeah. then it calls out to the thing, but then they've all got. I understand, yeah, a lot of contrivances and all that stuff. But like, what I like about contrivances it. Contrivances is a polite word for what that was. <laughs> but it, what it does is it like entangles all these main characters in a story that needs all those main characters to be a part of it. And what I like about it a lot as well is that the villains aren't going to like, I want to go and kill that this person, or I've got out to get this person, or I've got some revenge on this person. There's elements of that in the story, but really the main thing that they want is to be human again, which is like almost mind-blowing that like that has been done in a movie like such a sympathetic role for for a villain that they just want to feel feelings again which is just really weird when you think about that that's what their entire motivation is okay especially in the world that we live in now where villains want to take over the well you know most movie villains want to take over have you seen child's play the new one? Any of them? Uh, no, I haven't. Okay. You've never seen any Charles Play movie? No, I haven't. Okay. There's a serial killer. And he's, he's a baby. A little, little, little baby... Uh... No, no, a serial killer. A grown-up serial killer. Oh, right. And his spirit transfers into the body of a plastic Chucky doll. Right, right, right. And all he wants is to be human again. Right, right, okay? right. That's literally the plot of Charles Play. Right, great. And, and it's fine. Yeah. How many characters did that involve? It involves a kid and a toy, right? <laughs> and the voice of Brad Dourif. And... Uh, you know, or AI, he wants to be human for the first time. Or Pinocchio, he wants to be... Yeah, all of, wanting to be human is great, but like usually it's reserved for heroes. Like, Pino- Pinocchio wanting to be human and no, things like that. No, there's plenty of movies in which evil spirits want to yeah. take on human form. Probably I mean, and, 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 and what's interesting is, I do think that's the most interesting thing about Pirates of the Caribbean, and yet it's not the thing that I would think of of the film being about. When I asked you what the, to tell me what the story of the film was, you went off into some oh, right. okay, if you you know, London the film street map is... version of, you know... <laughs> And then you go down there, but they've shut that road off. So then you go up part, you have to go oh, with banks and but I busy think at this some time of, the, of day. Some of the plotting of it, because it is a huge swashbuckling adventure, you can't expect it to just be what you, you know, when you can just sum it up in a sentence. I don't, because I, I, what I love about it is little details like Elizabeth Swan is told they're coming to kidnap you because you're the governor's daughter. And then when she is kidnapped, she says, My name is Elizabeth Turner to try and protect herself. And then that turns out to be like, oh, we're looking for the son of a Turner. Like, I like that all this stuff is like really smartly set up and it doesn't feel like set up and pay off. It's just woven in in a really natural way because it is a huge swashbuckling adventure. It's not supposed to be like something that you can sum up in, a, in an elevator pitch. Do you think that the, the scope of that swashbuckling has anything on Star Wars, for example? 
Um, I think it's a completely different thing, but I, you're talking to somebody who didn't grow up loving Star Wars. Same as you, actually, yeah, yeah. when we watched The Force Awakens yeah. together, actually. Yes. We but, both had the same reaction, which was, oh, I get oh, it now. Oh, I get it now, fun. Oh, yeah. that's that's what people love. And I and now yeah. I'm into it, yeah. and I've since watched the originals again and had more of an appreciation for them. But I think that probably parts of the Caribbean and movies <laughs> ever since Star Wars owe a lot to Star Wars yeah. because of the, the scope of it all. But I, I mean, I personally prefer Curse of the Black Pearl to um, to any of the original Star Wars movies. And there was the moment when Jack Howard's career with the young people... <laughs> Everyone just like, uh, never listening to anything so just, he ever says yeah, again. So just, to, just to absolutely clarify this, Jack, I feel like I feel like you're on the Today programme. Hang on, Sorry, hang on. Just to clarify this, so you think that Curse of the Black Pearl yep. is better than... Any, now, I just want to... just Some time ago, I wrote a thing um, in The Observer in which I said, and I, do, I did stand by this at the time, that I preferred the Twilight movies... To the original Star Wars movies. Okay? Wow. No, it's fine. Okay, and um, and it was you what... lose. Yeah, I know, yeah. <laughs> and New Moon is one of the worst films I've ever. Oh, seen. New Moon is all over the place, but New Moon is all over the place because there's a sequence in which she literally sulks in a chair for a year. Yeah, I mean, sulks in a chair for a year, and and it's quite an elegant sequence where it, the the, yeah. the weather changes, but that's not enough. I know they bring up on screen. December. I know, I know. It's like, it'd be like if that sequence in Notting Hill, when he walks through all the seasons, but they put the dates up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Snowing. Calendars going by. He's still sad. He's still. Like the part of a crying emoji. (laughs) So I just want to warn you that that just the. The backlash is coming. I've been there before. Right, right, right. And it's been nice knowing you. Yeah. You know, we've both said things like that. We're on the same team. Exactly. This dock is off limits to civilians. I'm terribly sorry, I didn't know. If I see one, I shall inform you immediately. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. You best start believing in ghost stories, Miss Turner. You're in one. Can't you all remember Captain Jack Sparrow? Kill him. I'm gonna teach you the meaning of pain. You like pain? Try wearing a corset. Pirates of the Caribbean, the curse of the Black Pearl. I may have deserved that. So, um, how, how have we done? Is that four well, of the... We've, we've, done, we've done Johnny Depp's performance. We've done the story, kind of. Yeah. Um, we've kind of covered Gore Verbinski's direction yes. a little bit. But, I, yeah, I mean, my main point about Gore Verbinski's direction is that I think it's really, like, efficient and elegant. And, like, I think, I think now as well, because I'm very unimpressed a lot of the time with big-budget filmmaking. Yeah. So when something like Mission Impossible Fallout happens... Yeah. I'm like, oh, they're it's really brilliant. doing stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And I think I felt that, the same way. Felt exactly the same way. And Gore Verbinski, like, same thing. Like, there's not really any CGI stuff other than the CGI skeletons. There's everything. Like, the ships are real. The battle. CGI with, what? CGI skeletons. 
What did I say? I'm pretty sure you said skeletons. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> I do that. And I've said it, it's recorded now. Play it again. Just play it in slow motion. So, yeah, you, there's not much CGI in it. The boats are real. The battle with the boats are real. When someone's swinging around, the, you know, that's, that's, that's all real. Um, and that sort of leads me on to the next thing that I want to talk about, yeah. which is the action sequences. Okay. And again, I think that Gore Verbinski is the person I'm sort of praising the most in with this. Yeah, yeah. Is that the action se- My favorite action sequence in the whole thing is the first sword fight between Jack Sparrow and Will Turner when he meets him in the blacksmiths. Yeah. Because it's all just storytelling. The entire time you're just being like taught something about each character. Um, okay. And it's it's about Will hating pirates. Um, and rejecting that idea whilst um, Jack is manipulating and you're showing a darker side to him and also how he'll learn to cheat. Uh, he'll, he'll cheat to win. And all this stuff, you're being taught all that, uh, all that stuff whilst it's this really brilliant and really fun to watch action sequence. And again, real stuff is happening, like the practical right. side of it. Um, you can tell that they're really doing it. Okay, again, I would say that the the, the, the issue is if you can direct a sequence like that why can't you direct the whole why can't you put bring that same thing and funnily enough this is a strange comparison but i think a similar criticism is can be leveled at quentin tarantino mm. which is that if you look at the hateful eight how come you can direct a sequence or or um you know inglorious bastards how come you can di- how come you can direct a sequence that is that tight and that you know, taut and efficient. And yet when you stand back and look at the whole thing, yep. it's like, w- w- and I still come back to, we'll talk about this in a different podcast, but the, that thing about when it, the things that you're, that you're crediting Gorvaminsky with, I think you're, I think actually you're making a good argument for them. And I, I, I do buy some of them. I do buy that storytelling, you know, through action at the front. And so in a way, it's not that, wasteful. That's what I like. But about what's it. wasteful is the construction of the whole thing. Now, maybe that comes down to writing or maybe it comes down to, the fact that in the end, what you've got is a is a picture that's inspired by a you know a fairground ride, mm-hmm. um, which is not a narrative. You know, in it's the, a stretch, in, isn't it? It is a stretch, and um, and and consequently, it just feels like a bit like a whole lot of bits bolted together that individually might work. Now, what's interesting is that I think you're getting something out of it that I never got out of it. Which is that you're getting emotional involvement, mm. and um, and you know, like you said, that you, you are convinced by the love affair. You're con- you're convinced by the underlying theme of the pirates want to be human, and that was the stuff for me. I never I never connected with any of that stuff, and that's not because I don't connect with pirate movies. Because it said if if I could enjoy bits of Cutthroat Island, which is a terrible film, um, but I think there is there is a thing here which is if you don't connect, and I I think this is the key part. Very early on, I lost, out. I lost it. Yeah. yeah, and then I wasn't going to be allowed back in again. And and I think you would agree that by the time you get to the sequels, they are worse. They are worse. They are. You know, like even even I, the first time I watched Dead Man's Chest, it finished on a on a note that I was excited by, like him coming down the Jeffrey Rush coming down the stairs again, eating yeah. an apple. Um, and and it just finishing on that cliffhanger yeah. to me was like, oh my god! Like I and it was it was an introduction to filmmaking like that where they were filming sequels back to back yeah 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 and that hadn't really I'd never really seen that before um, but well back to the future 2 and 3 yes. back to back on the yeah, yeah, so yeah yeah but I'd never you know I wasn't alive when they came out oh no of course because you're a child <laughs> sorry I keep so I'd never really seen that done before um, but so I asked you if you ever saw Queen play live and you went, yeah you went, I, no, I was no. born in 1992 Mark so sorry <laughs> he was dead <laughs> um <laughs> But, I do forget. <laughs> I mean, you should take it as a compliment that I forget. Yeah. I forget because you know stuff, mm. you know, and then I forget that you're actually just a little baby. <laughs> <laughs> it always comes back to this. <laughs> well, no, no. I mean, I, I, look, I think you clearly have made an emotional involvement with it, which has enabled you to see things that I didn't see. And yeah. I do, I do buy what you're saying about individual sequences. I think, I think you're right as well. That like, I'm arguing it from from how I've grown up now, which is to be, you know, I'm a filmmaker who sees, in, you know, the, the process in the filmmaking. And I really appreciate how well everything sort of like threads through and everything that men- is mentioned is, is never wasted. And, you know, even, even just like Jack getting deserted on, 
you you see that island later and then you the, the truth is revealed as to okay. what really happened when he they're actually on that island rather than someone just saying it yeah. like oh it was all a lie he made it up or you know that that confession never happens it never needs to because you see it visually everything gets paid off and it all crescendos with all these different characters and you write all these different stories that happen to be ping-ponging against each other it crescendos in the final battle in the cave when you've got everybody doing their own thing and then one of the moments of tension I remember like learning about tension when Barbosa has got a gun pointed to Elizabeth, Jack's got a gun pointed to uh, to Jeffrey Rush, and Will's got a sword and he's got the he's got the coins and everything just freezes and then you hear a gunshot and Elizabeth reacts, Jeffrey Rush reacts, and then all of a sudden you find out that Jack has shot him. Ten years you carry that pistol, now you waste your shot. He didn't waste it. Stuff. I just remember learning about that and, being, you know, and seeing that for the first time and being completely convinced that that it was going to go wrong. Okay. And you're right; it's the core of every. You know, we're basically just going to the core of every film. That I was emotionally invested yeah. from the start, and I was I was interested, and I have been since. And now I've been able to look at it practically and go: the way you're putting that story together is actually pretty brilliant. So to, to to have something that huge and to make it feel so small and intimate. Is you know it's something I appreciated about the new Spider-Man: Far From Home as well. Like it's huge, but it never forgets about the small, intimate moments, mm-hmm. and I really appreciate that stuff. But when you watched it, obviously, you just didn't get. And I went any of that. and I went in. I promise you this. I went in wanting to enjoy it. I when was the last in, I, time you watched it? Um, I've watched the first one again, some of it last year because it was on television. And, and you're like, nope, still rubbish. And I, I, I just, it's the Johnny Depp performance just right. absolutely left me cold. But also, by that point, because bear in mind, I watched every single one of them as they came out and then had to review them. As the series went on and got worse, mm-hmm. I think that they sort of, I now look back at Pirates through the prism of the of the worse ones. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, it's... there. I think all the arguments that you're making about the construction of pirate of the first one are valid. I still think that my, that, that 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 the overall arc is messy, and I think that all the problems it is I, messy because the moral at the end of it is that Will learns that sometimes using the methods of a pirate aren't isn't isn't a bad thing. <laughs> but what that, that means to lie <laughs> yeah. and to cheat. That's right. And 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 uh, to steal and, 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 and all right okay that's where we're being left. That all right yeah all right yeah just don't think about that too much. But like you're right, it's a bit of okay. a mess at the so, end. So can we can we find a sort of an agreement here, which is that we're agreed that the sequels are increasingly rubbish. Increasingly right? rubbish, yes. But I will agree with you that there is there are things in the construction of that film that had I not emotionally checked out mm-hmm. so early on. I would appreciate because they, the, the way you're describing them, there are individual sequences that are constructed with, you know, w- with wit and grace. Mm-hmm. And, and will, efficiency is the word okay, I would use. As okay, well. fine. And will you agree that efficiency is not the word that actually defines the whole arc of that movie? It's long. <laughs> it's not just that it's long, Jack. <laughs> it's that it's what? Which meeting did you, did you arrange? What did you do? Did you get into the editing room and just throw everything up in the air and then the, the order that it landed on in the floor that was how you which is incidentally how tony k wanted to edit american history x as <laughs> when they were approaching the very last cut of it and he'd been having these meetings in which he turned up with a rabbi a priest and a monk in order to make the spiritual aura better he walked into jerry greenberg's room according to jerry greenberg and said let's just throw the whole thing up in the air and see where it lands <laughs> and everyone was going 
Tony, no. That's, that's, <laughs> it didn't work on Pirates of the Caribbean. Right. It didn't work on Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> We're not doing it now. <laughs> um, okay. My final uh, thing, so we've, we've talked about Johnny yeah. Depp's performance, Gore Verbinski's direction, the action sequence is a little bit like, you yeah. know, yeah, not everything can be covered as, as, as in detail as we can in the short time we have. Yeah. Um, the story... Of which you don't think I there think is one. A, no, I think, <laughs> I think but, if there is a story, it's under so many layers yeah. of you know, it's under so many layers of of of, of, of rewrites that I can't see it anymore. <laughs> and the final thing um, is probably something I, I hope we can agree on. Okay, is the music? Oh yeah. Um, by uh, in the first one, it's by Klaus Badelt. Badelt. I'll, I'll go Klaus Badelt. I'll go with your pronunciations. Um, and then the sequels, it's by Hans Zimmer. Yeah. And I, I, I've got to think. I, I, there's no confirmation of this anyway, so this is purely speculation. Okay. But you know, Hans Zimmer is known for having em- employees coming out of his ears that he just hands off things to and does additional writing for. So Lorne Balfe, who did the uh, the, the new um, Mission Impossible film, he's right. been writing with Hans Zimmer for years. Rupert Gregson Williams, Harry Gregson Williams, they're all part of Hans Zimmer's little crew. Right. And I think Klaus was given this project because Hans was like, oh, Disney are doing some sort of Pirates movie. Yeah, you, you do that. Here's a theme that I've written that I've ripped off from my own score from Gladiator. <laughs> sort of take that and then write a score around it. And it's a brilliant score. And then the movie became a super mega hit and he went, what? Oh, no, I'll do the rest. Uh, give it back. I want my name on it now. And that's how it feels to me that like I'm like, Han, Hans Zimmer didn't do the music for the first one but people think he did okay. I'd, just, um, I'd just like to say for the lawyers that's, that's Jack <laughs> Howard <laughs> no I mean it's it, uh, yeah. the thing with any with any musical score and a film is that as we all know how musical scores end up being what they are is, is never a simple you know it's never somebody no. sat down and watched the film and thought oh I know what will sound good with that yeah. and in fact I was just doing a thing recently um you know scores that have been written for movies and then dumped and then you but then little bits of them turn up mm. and I was looking at the North score for two thousand and one. Yes, and it, I've, I've I've been looking at that recently as well. It, it's it's really interesting, isn't it? Because yeah. it would have been a very very it changes different, the movie, yeah, yeah. completely. I mean, t- particularly like the space docking thing. Yes, which, because you now cannot watch it, but of course you know what happened was temp music, mm-hmm. and and it and still the, happens now, which it, is why music. All sounds, you know, modern wise, sounds, sounds like, like Hans Zimmer. Yeah, exactly. Everyone goes, let's put the Inception track in for this sequence, yeah. and then everyone. And goes, you know what? Oh. Do you know what the expression to, to describe Hans Zimmer's uh, biggest scores is? It's going the full Brahms, right? Yeah. And, that, and apparently Brahms. that is Brahms. But it's you know, the Brahms thing. That is what that's that's the Zimmer thing. And there, and I was talking to a composer recently who'd composed. Um, uh, who composed for a kind of a big British feature. And I said, what does that keep reminding me of? And he went, well, and I went, no, no, come on. What, I, what, it's like, it's about to turn into something. Well, it turned out it was Zadok the priest. Right. And I, and and he, 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 he talked about having a little bit of the Zadok the priest DNA in, in his piece. But sometimes you can hear that somebody went, here's a thing. Yep. To, you know, work off of that. You There's know. a really brilliant video actually by um, somebody who doesn't make, uh, video essays anymore called uh, Every Frame a Painting. I oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Who talks about the music in Marvel right. and modern action movies and, and how they all rip off from each other and, and basically everyone's using temp scores from other films and that's why everything sounds the same. Okay. Um, and I think that that's a really interesting thing to watch if you're interested in stuff like that. Um, but I think that this movie... Uh, like all, all, Actually, the entire trilogy, I think, has really brilliant music and I can remember the themes and... Um, they feel like they're attached to certain moments and certain characters and I think that it does something that I see a lot of other modern blockbusters do which right. is overusing the theme right. so in the first movie when every time some character comes on you don't get that theme a lot it doesn't give it to you all the time in fact I think in the modern in the, in the later two and three yeah. it doesn't really give you it until the end credits and it feels really satisfying. It's like, I remember seeing... It's like, we've got to the end, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> Have a bit of music you like. Here we are. Well done. To walk out. What day to. is it? Wednesday. <laughs> Still. <You> know, yeah. <laughs> um, but, like, I, I remember seeing uh, Jurassic World, the first uh, the first uh, reboot, remake, sequel thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, Michael Giacchino did the music for that, and I really like Michael Giacchino. And the, I just didn't like the way that they use the Jurassic Park theme. Like, they get to the, the Jurassic world 
and they get to the hotel room and he flings open the windows and the camera soars out onto what looks like Disneyland. Yeah. And it just goes... And I was like, I'm looking at a fairground. What? This isn't... That's not dinosaurs. So, like, it, it just... it just You know, it's not deserving of the theme. And I think that what they have is a, a good reservation of... Um, of when to give you that stuff and and they uh, they have a lot of different themes strung throughout it and i think it it sort of invented the way that pirates sound it reinvented the way that pirates yeah. sound um yeah so i i've, I've overwhelmingly okay. positive about that throughout the the, the, the trilogy because okay. i think in the new ones it's 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 giving it the, the yeah, pirates yeah. of the caribbean theme at every possible okay. moment well look, i think i think you've done a better job of convincing me of the merits of it than i than than i expected i, you I to, take so. that as a win no i think i think i will give you that I, I thought you'd just like disarm everything i said no because i'm you know i'm more reasonable than perhaps i'm uh, a fair god my rep- I'm, a f- <laughs> <laughs> I'm a prankster god i, I want to finish on uh, on this you mentioned uh michael giacchino one of the things i like most about michael giacchino mm. is that michael giacchino's twitter handle yes. is Ja-key-no. No. Yeah. Uh, not uh, Exactly. As <laughs> Kermode, I just kind of think, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know what's important. Jaquino. <laughs> Jack, uh, okay, yeah, I'll give you that one. Are you sure? I think I will, yeah. Well, I, I'm, I'm just, I think I'm a little bit more passionate you about... are. You are. And I think it does demonstrate that passion will always out, mm-hmm. you know. And I also, I think probably it's, it's you know, because we're agreed that everything got so much worse mm. in the in the in the in the sequels, I am willing to give you because I didn't hate Pirates of the Caribbean. I hate the sequels. Yeah, I think that like when you get to uh, Naomi Harris, yeah, turning into a big crab lady, I check out. I'm like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> like I remember, I remember actually seeing it for the first time and feeling hatred. And being like, what is this? <laughs> like, Why what is I? going on? And, uh, yeah, just all the multiple jacks. Like, Oh, yeah, the multiple jacks. It was just like, one was bad. And now <laughs> I have Now they're 15, talking to each other. And they're in... He's dead or he's yeah. not dead. It's yeah. like, what? It's, you know, it's, it's like a pop video that somebody wanted to put at the beginning of the film. But, you know. It's just, it's just bizarre okay. and it Listen, gets worse. Quit while you're ahead, okay? Yeah. I'll give you that one. Mr. Sparrow, I can what say you about the condition of this tech line? It'd be proper to my eyes, sir. Proper? It is neither proper nor suitable, sir. It is not acceptable nor adequate. It is, in obvious fact, an abomination. Begging your pardon, sir. But perhaps if you gave a man another chance, shall I? That sort of thinking got us into this mess. Well, thanks for listening to this Kermode on Film podcast. If you've enjoyed it, tell your friends and remember to subscribe. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.